Live. Live from... This is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast. We're New York Sports Talk and Long Suffering Fan. Your host, Mike Phillips. A very quick turnaround from this episode to the last one. We are getting ready for the NHL playoffs. First round starts tonight. We have the Rangers, Devils, Islanders, all in the postseason. So all the New York locals made it. We're going to be joined by Christopher Russo, friend of the podcast, host of the Sports in the Waiting Room podcast. We're going to preview the NHL postseason. So this is the first round series here because we're figuring to get at least one team in the second round. That should be a lot of fun. I'm also going to give you a two-minute drill here. I'm going to tell you the unintended consequences of these shorter baseball games. So I picked up on it. It's going to impact you. Start going to games this year. We'll tell you what that is at the end of the podcast. You like it here on the Just on the Suffering podcast. Feel free to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, all the usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering for your podcast platforms. My episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well. Make the podcast even better going forward. Check out the YouTube page. Mike Phillips on YouTube. Video version of the conversation with Christopher Russo is up on the YouTube channel. Again, Mike Phillips on YouTube. Without further ado, let's get to our opening tip. We'll talk about the Jets draft plans coming up here. That's going to come up right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tip. And here we go. Opening tip time, talking uh, Jets draft. The Jets obviously is an interesting spot since we are still waiting for the Aaron Rodgers trade to get done. The Jets and the Packers are still hacking over the price in terms of draft picks. And you can debate either way who's in the wrong year, who has leverage getting very tired. The general consensus is this. Prior to the draft, the Jets have leverage because the Green Bay wants picks this year. They have to meet the Jet price. After the draft, it goes to Green Bay. Because Green Bay has the quarterback, the Jets want to get into the building as soon as possible. The Jet Green Bay might be asking for more in terms of picks. Jets might want to get a pick back in Green Bay if Rodgers plays just one year. It's certainly a concern after he went on Pat McAfee and said he was 90% retired before he went to the darkness retreat. Definitely a thing to watch. This should get done eventually. The rest of the offseason is pretty quiet for them. The one big sign they did was Alan Lazard. They would get upgrade receiver here. They traded away Elijah Moore. We talked about that a few weeks ago here. They've been in play for a few big names. They're not landing any yet. Oh, Bill Beckham was in play for them. He was going to visit here. Baltimore up their offer. He signed there before he could visit New Jersey. Calais Campbell, defensive tackle, same thing. He was going to visit the Jets, but the Falcons offered him a lot more money. He signed there before he got to New York. The Jets still have a few key needs. They can use a linebacker. They can use depth defensive tackle because that unit has been decimated by free agency. Use another offensive tackle unless you want to trust right tackle to a competition between Ty Beckton and Max Mitchell. Use a center. Oh, he's another receiver. If you're moving off of Corey Davis, could be part of the Aaron Rodgers trade. Another running back would be nice to cushion the blow. Brees Hall's not ready to come back 100% off the ACL because once Brees Hall went down, the Michael Carter, Bam Knight combo did not look great. You could say part of it on the quarterback not being effective and opening up a few running lanes, but they were not great either. The Jets figure at least have the 13th pick and one of the two second rounders. Remember, they flipped a three with Elijah Moore for Cleveland's second rounder. One of those picks probably going to Green Bay for Rodgers. It would not be shocking if they use the two top picks and go trenches, both picks, whether it's offensive tackle, center, defensive tackle, you name it, they're going to go trenches, I feel like, here. 
They also had three picks on day three, one each of the fourth to sixth rounds. This is going to be a pretty small draft class, one way or another, especially when you assume that something's coming out of Aaron Rodgers. One thing that Joe Doug has not done very much, but it could happen here, he could trade back with 13. If you, especially if with those three top five tackles are off the board. He could say, you know what, like, I'm going to go back, get a few more picks, and get some more depth to add to the roster here. That's certainly an option. They could trade up. They trade up a couple times in the Joe Douglas regime, so I would not be shocked if that happens also. One thing you expect from the Jets here, especially after Rodgers gets on board, I think they'll be very active in that post-draft waiver free agency where a lot of teams sort of wait to sign guys because those in, you, in the compensatory pick formula, they don't count guys you sign after the draft. So the Jets could add a bunch of guys that way. And Aaron Rodgers would be a good recruiting tool because a lot of these useful veterans who don't have jobs, they can say, hey, I'll go to the Jets. I'll put Aaron Rodgers for a year. I can shot to win a Super Bowl. That certainly is a good tool. That's why it's important to get that trade done as soon as possible. So we'll keep an eye on the Jets stuff. Draft coming up next week. We'll do more draft covers on the podcast next week. But up next, we're going to chat with uh, Christopher Russo. Talk some NHL playoff hockey right after this clip of Patrick Kane's first goals in New York Ranger, courtesy of MSG's, uh, MSG's uh, broadcast team. Here's Panarin. Down low, Kreider. Back to Panarin. Outside, Truba. Kane with room. He shoots, he scores! Patrick Kane! It's a power play goal! His first goal as a New York Ranger, and the game is tied 3-3. Now, Sam, after Montreal scored the shorthanded goal, he skated up to Shesterkin and patted him on the, on the pads with his stick and said, that was my fault. He comes right back, though, and gets it. All right, we are back here. Busy New York playoff scene here. We talked about the basketball this week. This week, we talked about the hockey. Joining you today, got to talk to back in October when we previewed the hockey season. Uh, Christopher, not the Mad Dog Russo, the host of the Sports in the Waiting Room podcast. Chris, welcome back. How are you? I'm all right, Mike. How you doing, bud? Pretty good. I got to say, this season felt like it almost never ended, but I feel like there was like so many twists and turns here. What was your big takeaways in the season as a whole? Uh, I mean... Big takeaway, you probably have to think about the Bruins, I think, first and foremost, uh, just breaking that record. It's funny to think, though, no no, no, one, no one's actually going to talk about the fact that they actually don't have the record for points percentage. It's almost like, you know, how, like, the 98 Yankees have more wins than the 27 Yankees, but the 27 Yankees played fewer games. Montreal played fewer games in 76-77. Not this year. They had a horrible year this year. But when they broke the record for points, they had, they had to play fewer games, not to mention there wasn't a point for losing in overtime. If you lost in overtime, you didn't get a point. So, I mean, that's what I think of first and foremost. I think you think of McDavid having somehow an even better year, I think far and away the best year of his career. He's probably going to win the heart for the third time. That's something that a lot of guys have not done. And I think putting a, a stamp on him being, I know he hasn't won the cup yet. He hasn't played in a final yet, but he is probably the best player of the last decade, I would argue. May, and maybe the best player of the new millennium. Uh, he's he's on a pace for, I mean, he's on pace for 2,000 points if he plays a full 20 years. He'd be the first, the only guy besides Gretzky to do that. And so I think his emergence continues. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say Stanley Cup hangover for Colorado, but then being without Landeskog for much of the year, and apparently now they're not going to have him for the playoffs. That's huge. Them being without McCarr down the stretch, and I think, and also I think the fact that the Eastern conferences. Again, a lot stronger than the Western Conference, but I don't think there is a huge favorite in the Western Conference the way that Colorado was last year. Yeah, throughout the Eastern Conference, you have to point out here is like this is a very unusual playoff for people watching the last like decade or so. No Pittsburgh, no Washington. 
yeah, some people will probably call it refreshing. Yeah. And some people are very surprised. It depends on, on who you're a fan of. But it's interesting, though, no Crosby, no Ovechkin, even throw Malkin in that mix because you forget he's an all-time great player. You forget that Backstrom is an all-time great player. Guys like TJ Oshie and John Carlson, Chris Letang, and yeah, a number of marquee guys that are, if not Hall of Famers, they're the Hall of Very Good at the very least. And you're going to be missing two blue blood organizations. And of course, Pittsburgh making some changes in the front office is very interesting, really just a quick decision there. So yeah, no Pittsburgh, no Washington. It does leave, it does leave things a lot more open. But then again, you also remember you still have the three-time defending Eastern Conference champion. Tampa Bay Lightning that are still in this thing. And they're in the same spot they were last year when they nearly won the cup again. Yeah, that's for sure. You're also pointing out here that I think no team is happier that Pittsburgh missed the playoffs in Florida, which would have had to get up a very high lottery pick to Montreal if they missed the playoffs. So good for, good for the Panthers. Yeah, tough for, tough for Montreal because, you know, they have a guy like uh, Marty San Louis who is just beloved there. And they – it's been a real struggle for them the last few years. No carry price, and it's tough to determine what their future really is. But Florida getting back into the playoffs after having won the President's Trophy last year and then just kind of sneaking in, I mean, that's a tough matchup in the first round with the Bruins. I think they would probably be the team the Bruins would want to face the most out of that whole Pittsburgh, Buffalo, Islanders, Florida, those teams that were left. But, yeah, you know, Florida's back in. Credit to them. Yeah, crazy. Now, let's start with the Rangers here. Because obviously, they were the team with the high expectations for going into the season here. And definitely the most interesting thing for them this year was watching how they changed their roster on the fly because Shesterkin didn't start off quick. They had issues fitting guys in. Then they make the trade with Tarasenko. You figure, okay, they're probably done. Then they spend like a week and a half contouring their roster, make the captain as Patrick Kane here. Like, what do you think about the, how the new look Rangers look now? They got these two big stars in here with the uh, core they already had. Well, I think Tarasenko has fit better than Kane has a little bit. I think that's also because Kane has missed a few games due to injury a little bit. But, yeah, they've both acclimated pretty quickly to the organization. I think we we knew that both of these guys wanted to be Rangers, and that's an attribute that you want to see if you're a Rangers fan. You, look, you go back many years, and you go back to Mark Messier, obviously, and that's a guy who was from Edmonton, had won the cup five times in 12 years, had won the cup without Gretzky even. And it's a guy who still wanted, he could have played the rest of his career in Edmonton, could have played the full 25 years in Edmonton, but he wanted to come to New York because he knew how big a thing it was to be able to come there and to win and to lead a team to victory. And so Kane and Tarasenko are not the leaders necessarily, but these are guys who have won a combined four cup rings in Chicago and St. Louis and uh, were probably the best uh, Kane was probably the the best player for Chicago maybe not the most complete player that's that, that would be Taze but the best player that they had Tarasenko was at least the most skilled player that St. Louis had when they won the cup and so those are guys who are, look they're they're a little past their prime probably Kane more so Kane's a little older but two guys who have seriously acclimated to the, to the organization and of course we knew that Kane and Panarin being together was going to be Huge. I would argue that if the Blackhawks had not traded Panarin for Brandon Saw, the, the Hawks might still be winning right now. You can make that argument. But those two guys have really been able to, to fit in well, besides you know still having Fox, Kreider, Zabanajad, and Panarin, and all these guys who already take up a lot of points. These guys have fit in very well. Yeah, they have here. It's interesting to look at how they built the team, the deadline. This is supposed to last year. Because last year is, oh, we're going to fill a bunch of holes. We're going to get a bunch of role players. I mean, Tyler Moss, the guy on both teams. But, like, this year now, it's like 
much more like st- like top heavy in terms of like now we have guys who fit the top lines better as opposed to where last year elevating guys into this, those top right link swats that didn't really fit that role. So, which do you think is a better mix? You like would you rather have last year's team right now or this year's group if you were a Ranger fan? If I were a Ranger fan, I'd probably I think I'd probably rather have last year's team. Here's here's the thing though. It doesn't always come down to who's the better team. Very often it does not come down to who's the best team. It comes down to matchups because, you know, the, the Boston Bruins could be the best team in the league. They might not match up well with every team. You might not, you're not going to be the best team against every team. And so, I mean, for the Rangers, I think they had a better team last year than they did this year. I know they have Kane. I know they have Tarasenko now. I think they just fit better as a unit. But the thing is, they match up well against a lot of teams in the Eastern Conference and a lot of teams in the Western Conference. Maybe not as well with the Devils necessarily in the first round, but looking at them long term, they match up well with Carolina. I think they match up well with Tampa. I think they match up well with Toronto, with the Islanders, with Florida. Boston and the Devils are probably two biggest difficulties. Shesterkin, obviously not nearly as good as he was last year. Still a very strong year, but he also set the bar so high last season. I think they do have a lot less downside, though, than they did last year, because the one downside, I think the one consistent weak spot in that roster, frankly, for them, I thought was Patrick Nemeth. And they Patrick Nemeth is no longer a Ranger. They also talked about, you know, Ryan Strom had a lot of upside, but he was also a guy who missed the open net a lot and did that even in the postseason. So that was another guy. I mean, they lost Cop, They lost Vetrano. Those were two big, two big guys, but they also got Kane and Tarasenko. I think they were better last year, but they also don't have – the experience this year that that they they have more experience coming into this season than they did last season. So I think they were they were a little better last year, but the margin is not huge. Yeah, I also think the thing I think is better for them this year. I think they're much better five on five team than they were last year. They have much more like proving goal scoring ability. Something that last year they were very reliant on the power play in the playoffs. Yeah, that was the consistent the the consistent criticism of the Rangers was oh they play horribly at five on five. They constantly get outshot which I thought was pretty funny because early on in the year, they were constantly out shooting teams and losing games. And again, that's, you know, a lot, a lot of the shots, it, it can be skewed because sometimes those shots are from the outside, but yeah, the Rangers did look a lot better at five on five this season. They played much stronger against most teams. And you know, the thing with Shesterkin not being as strong, he also didn't quite have to be as strong because the team was just that much better at five on five. Yeah, that's true here. Let's go to the devils here. We're going to get the match I made, but in terms of like, we talked in October about before the season, said, Oh, you know, the Devils could be good. They can make the playoffs. I don't think you had the hundred, the hundred and twelve point season coming. I said they were going to be better. There were a few teams that I said were lower in the Eastern Conference that were going to be better. I said the Devils were going to be better. I said Ottawa was going to be better. I said Detroit probably was going to be better. I don't know if I said it about Buffalo. Ottawa got better, and they were in the playoff mix for a while. Detroit got better. They were in the playoff mix for a while. Devils, I thought yeah, they're probably going to make the playoffs. They were. This is probably the best offensive team they've ever had they were never this good offensively i think even when they won the stanley cup they just fit better as an organization they had a better structure but yeah i i think maybe 95 points was a reasonable outlook i don't think 112 was something we expected i I, then again i also didn't think that 12 teams were going to finish with 100 points this year including the kraken so you know it was it was also just a very very strange kind of top heavy season but yeah the devils did they made some moves. I they, they needed some improvement on the back end. They got it. I, I would not say they are a, a top team necessarily in goal or, or even defensively, but they have been 
they've been able to, I, I think, supplement the offense at a point where they win a lot of five, four games, but they've done a much better job fundamentally. And I already knew that, you know, you've got a guy in Lindy Ruff, who's an experienced head coach, one of the greatest head coaches of all time, actually guy who's just never won the cup, but did such great things in Buffalo and is very, very respected. So yeah, you know, the devils had, uh, have had an outstanding year and, and are a contender. That's for sure here. And also they make the big move with the deadline when they go get Timo Meyer in here to add another offensive weapon to a team with very good scoring goals here. Like how does he fit in so far for the devils? Well, the most important thing for Timo Meyer and the devils is just that he was a finisher. He's a guy who gets to the front of the net. And it's funny. I think you can actually kind of make the comparison. He's kind of their Chris Kreider actually, because he's a guy who just positions himself very well at the front of the net. I don't, I don't know if he's a great deflector necessarily, but the guy who, who gets to the net is able to bury loose pucks and a guy who scored over 40 goals this year. That's what he was in San Jose. That's what he's been with the devils. They've been talking, he'd been linked to them for a while and they, they needed a finisher. That, that was the big thing because Jack Hughes is a 40 goal guy, but he's also able to facilitate. He's a good player. He's a good goal scorer and he's a good facilitator. He's a very complete player. And Timo Meyer is a, a guy who's just able to finish for them. Yes, for sure. Now we get this very fun first time match between the Rangers and the Devils here. They definitely played, what, once after the deadline moves. The Devils won that game here. And, like, what are you looking forward to in this series here? Like, how do you think it's going to break down? Well, it's funny because the last game between the Devils and Rangers, I think, kind of in, in many ways defied expectations because you were probably expecting a Devils win at that point, but you probably expected a higher scoring game or an average to higher scoring game. The Devils went up 2-0 early. The Rangers were a stronger team in the second period. They got totally outplayed in the first. They were a stronger team in the second. They ended up losing to the Devils 2-1 in regulation. It was a very good game, and I think it was a good sign for the Rangers. But I, you know, the Devils did outplay the Rangers not only for the season, but head-to-head. It was not – they were usually, I think, one or two goal games, I believe. It wasn't that terrible, but – you know, looking at this series, I think the geography still favors the Rangers. Yes, the, the Devils have home ice, but the truth is probably close to half that building. E- even though the Devils have a great fan base, they do they do have a great home crowd. The Ranger fans are probably going to take over nearly half that building, as right. they have had for many, many years going back to East Rutherford. And so if there's one team you want to play on the road as the Rangers – not necessarily from a, an actual play standpoint, but from a fan and noise standpoint, it's going to be the Devils. The Islanders are probably not too far behind. Then it's not necessarily because, you know, the Devils have a, have a weak fan base. It's because, you know, it's passed down from generation to generation. The Rangers are an organization that's, you know, about 50 years older and has been in the area for about 55 years longer than the Devils have. So that's one thing that favors the Rangers. They're also historically a little better against the Devils in the playoffs. They've taken, I think, four of six Devils have taken two of the last three. The Rangers do have a stronger goaltender in Shesterkin. Vanacek is good, but Shesterkin obviously has bigger, bigger upside. They do have overall a more experienced team, especially getting Kane and Tarasenko. But even the guys that are part of their core are more obviously more experienced because they made a run to the conference final last year. The Devils made the playoffs once since they last reached the final, uh, of course, knocking out the Rangers, the Henrik goal. And I, I do think the Rangers, although are not – you know, as strong defensively as say the Bruins or the stars or something like that, they are a better team defensively. So if I have to give you a pick, I'll, I'll take the Rangers. I'll take them. I'll take them in seven games. I was say, I think Rangers in seven is like, I feel like it's a very evenly matched series. I think the experience edge of the Rangers is very important because it's a very young devils team. I think if 
they got the Rangers a round or two later. I think it'll be much more likely they win the series. But I think the Rangers knowing what playoff hockey is like and adding these veterans in there and the goaltending, I think it's going to be what puts them over the top here. Yeah, I'd probably tend to agree with you there. I mean, it'd be fascinating if you had these guys in the conference final. It'd be much more likely if you still had a 1-8 matchup. And it's funny, though, because you have Carolina, the Carolina, the Devils, and the Rangers were three of – for much of the year were three of the top four or five teams in the league – and yet, because they're all in the same division, you know, two of them have home ice in the first round. Only one can have home ice through the first two rounds. And so it's it's very much more, I, I think it's much tighter than you would see, say, maybe between like, I don't know, maybe like Oilers and Kings or something like that. Kings are very good, but the, even though they took the Oilers to seven last year, the Oilers probably should still be a significant favorite. Yeah, that's for sure here. Let's go to the Islanders for a minute here because they also made the playoffs. They grabbed one of the last two wild card spots in the East here. And this is a team we weren't sure about beginning of the season here. But I think, you know, very credit to that team for, you know, they start, start off a little slowly. They had some issues early on. They found themselves late. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. I I think I've mentioned this to you on the air before that I really did not like their decision to fire Barry Trotz. I thought it was a, a poor decision, and I thought he had nothing to do with them losing last year. I thought COVID was really the reason that they missed the playoffs last year because they were the best team in the Eastern Conference not to get in. And remember, they had like half the team sick through the first couple of months of the season. Plus, I think it was the first, what, 13 or 14 games. I think they had to play on the road until UBS was completed and they could play opening night there. So that didn't help them either. I'll give credit to Lane Lambert. He's done very well. And you could argue could be a, a finalist for, for the Jack Adams this year. Uh, of course, it'll go to uh, Jim Montgomery in Boston, I'd have to imagine. He's done well, but again, he's benefited from the Isles not getting COVID like half the team did last year. I think Sorokin, as good as he was last season, has very much improved to the point where he could maybe be a finalist for the best. You could, you could argue. I mean, it's going to go to all Olmark, but still the point stands. And the team, credit to them, the team has, has battled through the Barzal injury because there's no player more important to this organization with the possible exception of Sorokin than Matt Barzal. There's no skater more important to the Islanders than Matt Barzal. And then Brock Nelson has also been consistent and had a solid year. He's had, I think, th- at least at least 35 goals this season. So he's, he's really been the guy they've needed. Yeah, absolutely. I do feel like that uh, Lou Arnold made the choice to go for it here. And I think we made some good pickups here. The Bo Horvat pickup was sort of a big deal for them. They got the big uh, center they needed. They also gave him the contract extension. A couple other moves paid off here. What about the deadline moves they made? Yeah, well, Bo Horvat is one because, they, again, it, it's a little like the Timo Meyer move where it was an offensive-minded move. They needed a guy who can finish, who can put pucks in the net. He, I think I remember he actually took a little bit of a shot at, at his old squad in Vancouver at some point. But, you know, it's a, it's a guy who – just was not able to benefit from as much great talent uh, in Vancouver as he does here with the Islanders. Pierre Engvall, I think, was also a great pickup because it's a guy who has had some experience in Toronto. He's a big guy, 6'5", 219. The Islanders are a very physical team, I think, for the most part, and that really blends in. But he's also a guy who's got some skills, a guy who's got a nice shot. And I think Lou Lamarillo going for it with the Islanders is just based on the fact that this is such a veteran team. It's it's one of it's one of, if not the oldest team in the league. And you know, their their window is closing, frankly, because they made the they made a run of the conference final back to back years. They came within a win of going to the final in consecutive years and then missed the playoffs last year, really because of COVID. And you know, if if not if Trotz is the head coach and if not for 
the Barzal injury, they might be higher. They might be where the Rangers are, where the Devils are, maybe even where Carolina is within that division. But you know, they are a, a team that, that could very well make a run. I think it's going to depend a lot on the, the health of Barzal and the play of Sorokin, but it's an Islander team that could be very, very under the radar. Yeah, for sure. I mean, they are playing Carolina in the first round. Carolina has not been the same since they lost Vetchnikov for the season here. They've been trying to fill that absence. They really have. They've been trending down with the last week. Devils almost caught them. Where it looked like we didn't think it was possible for a while here. I think if Barzal is back, they can definitely pull the upset. I think even with that, I think this is a very tight series. Yeah, I was saying for a while that I think, you know, I think the Islanders can knock off the Bruins. I thought it was possible. Now, again, the Bruins do have, you know, they have the curse over their head. They're the President's Trophy winner. You know, you don't want to end up like like Tampa four years ago in particular, not to say the Islanders would really sweep them, but yeah, the, the Islanders could take Carolina. I don't know if they will. I think I might give the edge to Carolina in that series, but I, I could see them knocking them off. Sure. That, you know, it's, it's a team, but that has playoff experience like Carolina. I think the Canes, I think the Canes almost made a couple moves out of desperation last year when they got patch ready and Burns, where I think Burns is, a little later on in his career than maybe a guy you'd want in a goal scorer. I know he's a defenseman, but still, it's a guy who has played 20 years in the league now. It's it, it's hard to believe. I believe he's played 20 years in the league now. And a guy in Pacioretty who's also a little past his prime. They needed a goal scorer, but I think they maybe went for a little – little guys a little too past their prime. Goaltending has always been an issue for them, but maybe they've resolved that. It, it seems – I mean, they, they struggled with Nandalkovich. There was kind of the up-down of Ranta where it was almost Mike Smith-like. But, yeah, I could definitely see the Islanders upset in Carolina. That would be fun to have because I mean, it needs to be guaranteed a metro area series in the second round because somebody's winning Rangers-Devils. Yeah, I mean, it would be so interesting. You know, it's so good for the, the region. I hear people who are Rangers fans, who are Devils fans, who are Islanders fans that and you know some people just say you know what it's good that they all get in because it's so good for the region and it's true you want it makes for better hockey at the youth level it gets kids more interested and that's that's one of the key things you know i noticed they've done that so well in building up youth hockey in philadelphia boston pittsburgh obviously they've done it here in new york and new jersey in recent years uh, minnesota detroit, detroit chicago some of the the hockey hubs in america and it's coming now to the South, you see Matthews coming from Arizona, guys like Seth Jones coming from the Dallas area. And it, it's important to see hockey's biggest market and to see all three teams from that market get in. And not only get in, but all three teams could very well, any of these three teams could very well win the Stanley Cup this year. Yeah, so let's go quick a couple, two other things, headlines to watch here. Obviously, go about the Bruins a bit here, record-setting President's Trophy team. Though the President's Trophy has not been the best thing for teams here. I mean, since the lockout, only two of 17 teams to win the President's Trophy have won the Stanley Cup, and one came in a lockout-shortened year. The last one to actually win in a full season was the 2007-8 Detroit Red Wings here. So would you be worried about Boston here going all out balls to the walls and getting tripped up in the playoffs? Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing is, I technically, I think they'll they'll fall the victim to the, you know, the President's Trophy curse in that I don't think they'll win the Stanley Cup but I think they'll still make a very deep run. So I don't think it's going to be Tampa Bay 2019 level bad, but they are vulnerable. I don't think I, I don't really see them losing to Florida in the first round. I maybe could have seen them losing to the Islanders, but, or maybe even Buffalo if they had gotten in. But I would say 
Yeah, Boston is vulnerable if they, especially if they end up, if they get to the second round and they end up playing Tampa, they're definitely vulnerable. They end up playing Toronto. History favors the Bruins. Recent history favors the Bruins, but you know the Leafs are. If the Leafs finally win a playoff series for the first time in 19 years, that's really going to get the ball rolling, especially if it's against Tampa. And then you know any of those teams really in the other bracket, Carolina Devils. Rangers or Islanders could be very threatening to the Bruins as, as could probably most of the teams in the Western conference. So I don't see the Bruins winning the cup. I think I see them making a deep run, but I can also see them getting knocked out as early as the second round. Yeah. I think the second round seems to be the dangerous spot of late. I'm looking back here. I mean, we had, I think six of the last seven have lost in the second round. And the exception obviously, the Tampa Columbus thing a few years ago here. I feel like when you push yourself that hard, the regular season, sometimes you just run out of gas when you get this far in. Yeah, well, especially this year because they, you know, you, you go that hard, 135 points. Nobody else has had 135 points. And you think about it again, everybody kept talking about the wins record. And all I can think and all I kept seeing was 95-96 Detroit. And I forget what the other team was. I'm trying to remember. But all I remember is that I think the two teams who, who had the record for wins both lost in the conference final. Or at least, or at least neither of those teams made the final. And so that was that was key. I'm, this is the sport more than any other where regular season success is not completely proportionate to playoff success. Yeah, that's for sure. And we'll talk about the West briefly too here because the West, I feel like it's like a feel like a wide open race out there. I feel like like five of the eight teams in the playoffs I think are legitimately run the case to go to the conference final and, and beyond. Yeah, I would probably say. What would the five be for you? Because I, I would say, if, if, I, if I could guess, I would say you probably have Stars, Avs, Oilers, Vegas, and Minnesota. Yeah, but Minnesota is my five. Yeah, okay, that's what I figured. So that would make a lot of sense. Those are the five teams that are, I mean, Colorado's won in recent years already. Four of those teams are due. Minnesota is very due. Vegas, obviously, is due. Edmonton is more it has the longest drought of any team in the Western Conference that's still in the playoffs. I think Calgary has is a year earlier where they got knocked out. Yeah, in terms of who's the favorite in the West, you know, I mean, going into this year, I might have said Colorado, but the thing is, as opposed to last year, there is a goaltending change. I don't know if I don't know if it's really a downgrade or an upgrade because Georgiev's played very well this year. I always knew he was a very competent goaltender with the Rangers. He just, of course, was in the shadow of an even better goaltender in Igor Shosturkin, and even before that, an even better goaltender in the twilight of his career in Henrik Lundqvist. But Georgiev for Kemper, yeah, you know, it's iffy. And then you also had Francois was there for a while. So that's one thing that, that kind of evens out, though, I think. But no, potentially no Kale McCarr. We'll see what happens with him. We know for sure no Landeskog. That's huge. And another big thing that nobody really mentions, Nazem Kadri is not on the avalanche anymore. Not, not since last season was, was he there. He was a huge piece. And so I don't think the abs are the favorite. Personally, for me, I think the, the two favorites in the West would probably be, for one thing, Edmonton. I, 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 don't, I don't really see it with Vegas just because I've heard that, I don't know, there, there are character issues. We've heard with Jack Eichel, I think there are issues. And, uh, you know, we talked about his split with Buffalo. Bruce Cassidy, apparently, the, I've, I've heard the reason he was uh, forced out of Boston was that he didn't really get along with the players. Mo- most importantly, that whole Bergeron, 
Marchand Pasternak grouping. And if you, if you don't get along, along with Bergeron, you're not getting along with anybody really. And so I would say the Oilers, because McDavid has had the best year of his career, I think they've shored up their problems in goal to an extent. I think they have a lot more faith in Stuart Skinner. Dreisaitl's also had an outstanding year, maybe the best year of his career. They're just due. And I would also say Dallas would be my other favorite. I'd say Edmonton and Dallas because Dallas, good defensive structure. They got a hot goaltender. They've got maybe the hottest goaltender in the league, at least coming from last year in Jake Ottinger. So one of those two teams, I would say, would be the favorite. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, we're recording on Friday afternoon before the West Rack really finalized. We're still waiting to see if Colorado gets that that uh, division title over uh, Dallas out there in the West. But, like, you had to make a pick today. Who would you be your, your cup finalists on both sides? You know, it's funny. I, part of me kind of wants to say – part of me thinks the Rangers could, could get through, but I – I don't think they match up. They've never matched up well with the Bruins, not in my lifetime, at least. I think the, I would say the Bruins, I would say the Bruins. And I'll probably say, I think is good. I, I believe in the theory that good defense beats good offense. And you can kind of say that with the Bruins or any of those against any of those teams in the East, really, I think it's going to be the Bruins. And I'll say the Dallas stars in the Stanley cup final. That'd be an interesting final. That's not a usual pairing we get. No, well, they've never played each other in the final before. I, I don't believe. Yeah, Bruins North Stars was never a final, and it would also be interesting because then you see Tyler Sagan going back to Boston. So, yeah, that would be a really fascinating final. I that's where I'm leading right now. I could very well be wrong. I think I had Carolina over Colorado last year, so obviously that did not work out. I mean, well, it kind of worked out, but uh, yeah, Carolina didn't quite get where we thought they were going to get. They weren't quite the team they thought we were going to be. The Bruins and the Stars could uh, not be the teams that they thought we were going to be. That's what makes the playoffs so exciting in this league in particular. Yeah, always fun watching the NHL playoffs. Chris, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. If you want to follow me on social media, keep up with your podcast. I can do that. Yeah, uh, so you can just keep up with me on uh, Facebook, tw- well, maybe not Facebook, uh, on Twitter and Instagram, or just Twitter, rather, uh, at ChrisRusso98. I haven't done it in a few weeks since coming back from Providence and doing the Frozen Finals. But uh, just kind of the transition this year of going from hockey into baseball this summer. And, uh, yeah, just waiting to get things together. So I, I think hopefully next week we should have an episode out. All right. Sounds good, Chris. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. The Two-Minute Drill. All right. Two-Minute Drill time here. And one thing you love about baseball right now, the pitch clock is great. It's thriving. Games are much more crisp, much more action-packed. Game times have shrunk dramatically from last year. Last year, game times averaged about three hours and ten minutes. Over the first weeks of the season, two hours, 38 minutes. That's a big win for the fans. There is an unintended consequence to this rule, however. It impacts teams at the stadium. So those of you watching on TV, it's not a big deal to you. But if you're at the stadium, faster game times means there's less time for teams to sell beer at the game. Because if you've been to a baseball game, you've been to a football game, you know there's always a cutoff because they want to make sure that people can sort up before they start driving home. Baseball has been the seventh inning. They'd say, okay, after the seventh inning, no beer sales, so on and so forth. Now the quicker game, however. The seventh inning might be an hour earlier than last year, which is a lot less beer sales you're getting over the course of the game. A few teams, I think four as of recording time, have started shifting their cutoff to the eighth inning to recoup some of those beer sales. Phillies pitcher Matt Stroms again says he has a good point. If we are worried about getting people time to sober up, which is the reason why we cut people off from beer, 
The new faster game means you're cutting beer off earlier, not later. Matt Strom would cut beer sales off after the sixth inning, not extend to the eighth inning. In theory, you could go to the stadium, you could buy a beer. You could be, you know, cutting off the uh, sale at the bottom of the eighth inning. Somebody goes to buy the beer. Have the beer 10 minutes later, they're on the way home. That's not ideal for people who have to deal with drunk drivers on the way out of the stadium. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of studies done about this. I'm sure there'll be different approaches from different teams on how this is done. One thing is clear right now, though. If you want to have your beer at the game, go get it early. Those guys are closing a lot faster than you, they have been in the past. And with that, I want to end the podcast. We want to thank my guest, Christopher Russo, for coming on the podcast to talk about the NHL playoffs. Very fun uh, series here coming up in the first round and beyond. Why we like this podcast, including our Sky Guys coverage here. We have Mandalorian coverage coming in this week. We're going to have some bunch of offseason stuff. We'll get on the Sky Guys podcast. Same podcast podcast at the top of the show. You can also check out the blog, justinsuffering.wordpress.com. Give my review of John Wick Chapter 4. I saw that movie recently. Loved it. Give my full thoughts on the movie there. Again, check out the blog, justinsuffering.wordpress.com. You can follow me on Twitter, mphilips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's podcast. Coming up next week on the podcast, we're going to get into our NFL draft preview. We'll be joined by Bill Benner of Sporting News to break down the prospects, do a mock draft with Alan Austin and more. I hope you have a better week than Penguins fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.